Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 14 this morning from God's Word. George Washington said it this way, he said, it is impossible to govern the world without it. Andrew Jackson said, it is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln said, it is the best gift God has ever given to men. All the good from the Savior is communicated through it. Woodrow Wilson said, there are a good many problems before the American people today and before me as president, but I expect to find the solution of those problems just in the proportion that I am faithful in the study of it. Dwight D. Eisenhower said, our civilization is built upon its words. Have you figured it out? We're talking about the Bible, God's word. Those great men who've led our nation, who've made an impact, know that the word of God was where they needed to begin. Well, as we start off the new year, I thought appropriate that we would go back to what we were going to talk about last week and challenge the congregation to read through the word of God this year. We're going to look at seven solid statements about scripture. Follow along as I read aloud from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We look at that passage frequently around here because it reminds us of the importance of the Word of God. My challenge for you this year is that you would go through the Word of God from beginning to end, where you could see what we study week after week in its proper context. read a story recently about context that that might illustrate this. A, A man was walking down a country road with his mule and his dog. And a pickup truck careened around the corner and forced the man and his mule and his dog just knocked him off into the ditch. And they were injured and the, the man went to court to try to uh, recoup some of his losses. And the attorney who was examining him, cross-examining him, said, Sir, I want a yes or no answer from you. Did you or did you not at the time of the accident say, I'm perfectly fine? The man said, well, my mule and... Me and my dog were walking down the road. He said, no, sir, I asked for a yes or no response to this question. Yes or no, did you or did you not, at the time of this accident, say you were perfectly fine? He said, well, my mule and me and my dog were walking, and the attorney got so upset, he said, your honor, would you please instruct him to answer the question yes or no? He said, well, I think the man has something more he'd like to say. Let's listen to him. He said, go ahead, sir. He said, well, me and my mule and my dog were walking down the country road in this pickup truck careened and knocked us off into the ditch and my dog was injured really bad and the man got out of the pickup truck and pulled out his rifle and shot my dog dead and then he looked over at the mule with a broken leg and he shot my mule 
And then he looked at me and said, how are you? And I said, I'm perfectly fine. Context is important. Did you know that you can take verses out of the Bible and build your own theology and make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say? You can take passages of Scripture. You can spend time in one book of the Bible and not understanding the full, complete context of where that book fits in God's perfect plan. We put together three reading guides for you. I mentioned a couple of these last week. Uh, somebody added another one that I thought would be helpful. There is a uh, the yellow sheet will take you through all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in, in 365 days. There's a purple sheet now that will take you through the whole Bible. It's a 52-week plan, and it, it has you in a different section of Scripture each day. The epistles one day, the gospels one day, the poets one day, the prophets one day. So you can work your way through the Bible that way. And then there's a Bible survey that's the green sheet of paper. And that may be where you want to start, that 61 days of reading through the highlights of some key events in Scripture. Those are out there on the, the uh, welcome table in the foyer. But I, I want you to look at doing that this year so that you can understand the context of some of the things that we study here week after week on Sunday morning. So just as a challenge, just as a reminder, why in the world would you want to spend time and energy doing that? Seven solid statements about Scripture. Number one, God's Word is perfect. God's Word is perfect. If you needed a reason, Psalm chapter 19, listen to verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The Bible says about itself that it is perfect. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God, that literally means God breathed. It means God gave it to us. These are not words written by men only. These are words where God is the author with many human writers. God's word is perfect. It is infallible. It is inerrant. That means it is without error. It is without falsehood. It is truth, as the writer of the Psalms said. God's word is God's perfect word. If for no other reason, if, if I can say to you, here's a perfect book without error, that should motivate you to say, I need to learn that book. Gallup did a study a couple of years ago of Americans and this is what they came up with. 31% of Americans believe that the Bible is literal and inerrant. 10% of Americans with no religious affiliation believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. 26% of Americans with no religious affiliation believe at least that the Bible is inspired by God. They don't know what that means, but they believe that much. There is this understanding out there that the word of God says about itself, and we know it as believers, that it is God's perfect, inerrant, infallible word. I like what Dwight Moody said. He said, I know the Bible is inspired because it inspires me. A.T. Robertson, one of the great Baptist scholars of another generation, said one of the proofs of the inspiration of Scripture is that it has survived so many years of poor preaching. That's true. Do you know my job, I like what John MacArthur says, he's just the waiter. And his responsibility as a pastor, which is my responsibility, is to just get the food from the kitchen to the table and serve it without messing it up too much. But you know what? I can mess it up in my human frailty, but God's word is truth. It's powerful. It's inerrant. Perfect. Number two, God's word is permanent. God's word is permanent. Hold that place in 2 Timothy, but also turn a couple of more books to 1 Peter. God's word is permanent. Listen to what 
Peter writes about the word of God in verse 22. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he gives us this picture from scripture. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. God's word is not only perfect, it is permanent. The word says about itself, living and enduring. It is the word of God, verse 25, that endures forever. We talk a lot about eternal life and we're counting on that. That's our hope in Christ, but but there's another important statement. Not only do we have eternal life, but we have an eternal word that tells us about eternal life. It is not going to change. That's the illustration there. Grass is going to fade, flowers are going to fall, but the word stands forever. Forever. Someone said the only thing that's going to be the same in heaven is going to be the word of God. Everything else is transformed and changed, but God's word stays constant. It is permanent. I tell you what, every generation that goes by, the word of God is still relevant. It is still permanent. It still lasts. It still has impact. Permanent. John Wycliffe, who was uh, one of the English reformers back in the 1300s, stirred up things in the, the Anglican church and in the Roman Catholic church too. He was instrumental in developing the English text of the Bible. See, in that day, the clergy had the scriptures, and their, their mindset was the people couldn't be trusted to interpret the scriptures, so they literally chained the Bibles to pulpits, because you folks in the pew couldn't figure it out on your own. You needed the special clergy to interpret the Latin for you. That was their thinking. Wycliffe led a movement to get the word of God translated into the language of the people, into English, and played a key part in that part of the Reformation. Well, he died of natural causes, but the church didn't like that. About 40 years after his death, they dug up his bones, and they burned them, and they scattered them in the Thames River. And this is what the official word of the church was. Forever we are rid of Wycliffe. I thought, well, you may be rid of John Wycliffe, but you're not rid of the word of God. Because his efforts to translate the word were instrumental in bringing a change to a nation, to a continent, and ultimately impacting America See, God's word is permanent. You can stop the preachers. You can stop the churches. You can, you can try anything you want, but God's word is going to be there. It's going to stand. It's perfect. It's permanent. Number three, God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. Look with me at Hebrews chapter four that speaks of the power of God's word. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. Look at that first phrase in verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective. Some translations say powerful and active. God's word is powerful. In Isaiah 55, the Bible says, So my word that comes out of my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and prosper in what I send it to do. Some translations say the word of God will not return void. That's why I learned that passage. What that means is when God's word is proclaimed, 
whether it's read, whether it's preached, whether it's taught, it goes out and it's going to have an impact in people's lives. If God's word is studied by an individual or a small group, it's going to have impact in people's lives because, because it is God's powerful word. That's what changes lives, the power of the word of God. I read recently about the Hamar tribe in northeast India. It was a very vicious tribe of headhunters. In 1910, a Welsh missionary went in with the Gospel of John. And he gave that copy of God's word, that portion of scripture, to one of the chiefs of that tribe. And that chief began to read the Gospel of John and was, was convicted by God's spirit and invited that missionary in to come explain it to him. And he led the chief to Christ and that chief led others to Christ and, and that entire tribe was impacted for generations. Now there are people in that tribe who have started a ministry and their desire is from India to make sure that the Bible gets to every person in the world. They've started a, a society that, that distributes Bibles from there. And isn't that just a perfect description of the power of God's word? To take a cannibalistic, vicious, headhunting tribe and to take them and to bring them to Christ and to have it the missionary incentive and vision of that tribe to take the gospel to others with the word of God? God's word is powerful. Number four, perfect, permanent, powerful. And number four, God's word is penetrating. God's word is penetrating. The next part of this Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says it is, it is sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What a picture. It's a picture of a, of a, a surgeon's scalpel for me, just really getting in there and separating the joints and the marrow, just really perfectly with precision penetrating. The writer of Hebrews had a picture here of a, of a knife or a, of a double-edged sword that cuts right to the heart of the matter. Penetrating. I read recently of a, of a way to remember of how to take God's word and let it penetrate our hearts so the, the word is specs. I didn't come up with this, but I liked it. To think about putting on my spectacles as I look at the word of God and ask God, take your word and allow it to penetrate my heart. So as I read the word, here's, here's some questions to ask yourself as you go through scripture. S, is there a sin to confess? Is there a sin to confess? P, is there a promise to claim? Maybe the passage you're reading, there's a promise in there that you can claim. Letter E, is there an example to follow? An example to follow. As you look at these godly men and women in the Bible who walked by faith, Hebrews chapter 11 lists many of them. Go through your Old Testament. Is there an example to follow? I want to I walk with Christ like they did. Letter C, is there a command to obey? A command to obey. Is there a specific instruction in the word of God that I am to do something? And S, is there a stumbling block to avoid? Is there a stumbling block to avoid? Some of those examples in scripture, like David and Moses, Jonah and Peter, just the list goes on and on, made some mistakes, and I can look at their lives and see, I don't want to repeat that same mistake. Maybe the Bible is showing me a stumbling block that might be in my life. The writer of Hebrews also says to lay aside every weight, every hindrance that might pull you down and keep you from running the race with endurance. Is there something that I should avoid, a stumbling block that I should avoid? See, God's word is penetrating. The cartoon has a pastor standing outside the church and one of his members is leaving the church and they're shaking hands like we do here all the time and 
This is what the guy says to the pastor as he's shaking his hand. Powerful sermons, pastor. Thoughtful, well-researched. I can always see myself in them. And would you knock it off? I'm a pastor. I know what that means. I know that means there's, no, there's nothing in what I have to say other than what God's word has to say. There's, there's, there's the power of the word of God that penetrates hearts. I cannot tell you how many times I've preached on something and someone comes up to me and God's been convicting them from the word of God about something else. I didn't even mention it. Or maybe the text that I read, they, God's Holy Spirit took that text and applied it to another place in life. It's the word of God that penetrates. And if I could say the right things to say, I'd say them. I'd, I'd evaluate everybody's life and say, okay, I need to fix this person there, there, there. It doesn't work that way. By the way, I found over the years that if, if I have someone in mind when I preach a sermon, they're either not there to hear it, or they meet me at the door and say, boy, they really needed that, Pastor. So I don't even do that. I just say, God, I'm going to take your word, I'm going to open your word, and I'm going to present your word and try not to mess it up. And it is God's word that penetrates the writer of Hebrews says, number five, God's word cuts through pretense. God's word cuts through the pretense. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's sobering, isn't it? That, that it's the word of God that penetrates hearts and in essence lays us open and bare before him so that he can, his spirit can shine light on the dark places in our life. You don't have to give an account to this pastor for how you live. You don't have to give an account to other people. You give an account to God. Now, there is an accountability in the church, but ultimately we're going to stand before God and give an account of our life. The Bible says that we will stand before him and give an account for how we've lived a life in the faith. Not that our sins are going to be weighed good and bad and the good, if we're good enough we get in heaven. That's already been established if you're a Christ follower. Our sins are not going to be judged at that judgment. What's going to happen at that judgment is we're going to stand before God and give an account for the life that we've lived. And if God's word is to be the penetrating things that, that cuts through all the pretense then we need to be in the word. Because you can put on the the heirs on Sunday morning and look like a real spiritual Christian. You can look like you've got it all together, but when you begin to open up God's word and let God speak to you, he'll cut through all that stuff. He'll take away the mask and the hypocrisy. And you read the word of God and you think you're walking in obedience and God takes his word and speaks to your heart about pride and selfishness and apathy and critical spirit, those, those things that you can't see on the outside, God's word does. Well, I read recently about a, a zoo, a public zoo in China. In, in August of this year, they had to shut down the zoo temporarily because they had an unusual problem in the zoo. They had placed a dog in the lion enclosure, tried to pass it off as a lion. And everybody thought it was a lion until it barked. And I thought, how can you do that? So I looked it up. It's a, it's a Tibetan mastiff. And I went online and looked, and they have, they have a mane like a lion. It looked like a lion. And they might have thought it was a lion, and they did until it barked. And, and the, one of the zoo patrons said, the zoo is absolutely cheating us. 
I paid good money for tickets and I feel defrauded. He told me it was a lion, it's a dog. It barked. Talk about pretense. No more hypocrisy there. It's not a lion, it's a dog. When I open God's word and I begin to read it, and I begin to study it, and I, I put my specs on and ask about sins that need to be confessed, promises and claims, God lets me know if I'm barking. Or am I really genuinely walking in obedience with him? Cutting through the pretense. Listen, folks, you cannot hide your sin from God. And you may think you're walking great. Get in the word of God. and Let him begin to speak to you in those places where nobody else sees, nobody else knows. He cuts through pretense. Number six, God's word is purposeful. God's word is purposeful. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Could have used the word profitable because that's what this translation says. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, or I could say purposeful, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be equipped, complete for every good work. Teaching, this is how I should live. Correcting, this is when I get off the path. Rebuking, showing me what's wrong in my life. Training in righteousness, showing me how to walk. God's word has a purpose. God wants to use it to shape and conform you to the image of his son. Again, Isaiah 55, his word is not going to go out and return empty. It's going to have an impact. It has a purpose. It's interesting, that last part of verse 11 there in Isaiah 55, it will prosper in what I send it to do. God has a plan that when his word is taught, when it's preached, when it's, when it's read, when it's studied, it has impact in people's lives. Wayne Cordero comes up with this simple acrostic, and I like it. It's the word soap. In Ephesians chapter 5, the, Paul talks about the, the word of God cleansing, cleansing and washing our lives by the word. So the word soap comes to mind, and you use this. The S is for scripture. When you, when you spend time with the Lord, first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to scripture and read scripture. Now, it may be if you're going through the Bible, you're reading several chapters a day, or if you're just staying with a, a few verses, you, you need to go to the scriptures. That's where you start. Letter O is for observation. I'm going to look at it and say, what does it say and what does it mean? Very simple. And then letter A, application. Not just what does it say and what does it mean, but what does it mean for me today? How does that apply to my life where I'm living today? And then P, prayer. It's a good, good uh, formula for your devotional life. Spend time in scripture. Now, if you read through an entire uh, chapter or two a day, you're not going to be able to, to really, unless you're incredible, respond to everything in that chapter, but go to it and say, Lord, I'm, I want you to speak to me, show me one verse, one phrase, one word that I need to write down today, and take that verse or that phrase or that word or that impression and write it out as you observe it, then your application, because of what I've written, respond in prayer and write that out to the Lord. It's a, it's a, a discipline to do that. That's how God takes the word of God and makes it purposeful in your life. Gordon MacDonald, uh, a Christian author and speaker, travels all over the world, and when he flies, he likes to sit in that place that I like to sit where there's lots of leg room. It's usually that emergency exit. You know, they give you a little extra. People with long legs know where that row is. And the flight attendant comes by, and she says, has everyone on this row read the card there about how to open this door? And McDonald said, I always say yes. You know, it's a no-brainer. Here's the handle, and you do that, and it has instructions right there. He said, one time the flight attendant came back and said this, if an emergency happens, 
I'll be depending on you to open that door. Dozens of other people will also be relying on you too. So are you sure you know what's written on that card? He said, now she has my attention. And he goes and he reads the card. See, the card's there for a purpose. Not to say, I think I know what's in it because I've heard other people talk about it. No, I've read the card myself, and I know exactly. See, here, here it is, folks. There's the card. Not just, yeah, I've heard preachers talk about it. I, I know my mama read it. I've read some of it. But no, have you read the card? That's the challenge today. Because number seven is the key. God's word points us to Christ. God's word points us to Christ. If you back up in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to verse 14 and 15, as Paul writes to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I could have chosen many other passages of Scripture, but Paul just nails it right there. He says the Word of God is there to lead you to faith in Christ Jesus. Because, Timothy, you've studied the Word, because your family has communicated the Word, it has pointed you to Christ. Someone has said this is God's love letter to us. This is God's revelation of Himself to us. It, it is Him pointing us to heaven through Christ. See, you, you begin in Genesis chapter 1, and you go to Revelation and to the very end. As one guy said, he believed it from the table of contents to the maps. Go all the way to the end. And you know what the message is? There is salvation in Christ and Christ alone. The message is that God loves you. He gave his one and only son to die on a cross in your place. So that on the cross, he could take the penalty and the punishment of your sin so that you no longer have to stand before God and answer for that because Christ did that. Our, our decision, our responsibility is to receive that by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in the fact that you died for me and I turn from my sin and I give you my life. That's what scripture says. Scripture points us to the Savior. Jesus said in John chapter um, 14, I am the way the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the way, and that's what Scripture lets us know. We are pointed to Christ through the Word of God. Floyd Snyder tells the story of a Christian university student at a secular university, and he was given his roommate, was assigned to him, and it was a Muslim man. And so this Christian and Muslim got to be friends. And one day the Christian under conviction said to the Muslim, he said, have you ever read the Bible? And he says, no. Have you ever read the Koran? He said, no. Wisely, he said, I tell you what let's do. Let's, let's read them together and talk about them. We'll read the Bible one week and discuss it and the Koran another week and discuss it. And they went back and forth like this for a while and ultimately the Muslim accepted Christ as his savior by reading the word of God. Later in another semester, the the Muslim man who had come to know Christ had been reading the word of God and he bursts into the dorm room there and he says, you deceived me. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I've been reading through the Bible and it says that it's living and active and that, it, that people by reading it will come to know Christ. He said, you deceived me. You knew if I read the Bible, I'd accept Christ. No deception there. Folks, you can stack those two books up any day of the week. You can stack the Bible up against anything. 
And it brings conversion when people look to the truth of Scripture to see that Jesus is that truth. So do you know him? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Not are you a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or whatever, but have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, you need to do that. We'd love to help you with that in just a moment. We're going to have a time of commitment. And I'm going to stand right down here, and if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, we'd love to lead you in a prayer of commitment to receive Christ. Maybe you're a Christ follower, and you've, you've known the Lord for years, but you've never read through the Bible. I met a lady out in the foyer between the early service and, and connection class, and, and she said, Pastor, I want one of those reading guys. She said, I've, never, I've started this several times, but I've never gotten all the way through. I said, well, good for you. That's more than some people have done. You've read more than you did before you decided you were going to try to go through it. That's my challenge if you're a Christ follower to say, you know, this year I'm going to make that attempt to read through the Word of God. And you can take one of those three studies or find dozens online that will take you through the Word of God. That's my challenge today. Let's pray together.